thank you everyone for a week off. The baby is out and safe and doing well. Enjoy the rest of this episode and we'll see you next week for a full top 10 counting down to number one. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for the kind words. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Robin's number 35. He doesn't look confident. He's thinking about redoing his list again, but we really don't have time for this. My number 35 game is a game that I love because of the theme. And it's one that came out pretty recently. It's Darwin's Journey. Darwin's Journey is a worker placement game where your workers level up as you take certain actions and can take more and more powerful actions throughout the game. You also have like contracts on each of the workers, which they're trying to achieve, which is really cool. And you are in the theme of explorers trying to collect specimens and bring them back to the museum to study yeah, yeah. to study the specimens Darwin's found. museum yeah <laughs> yes uh in the galapagos islands uh it's a really cool game that combines like track movement uh with yeah worker placement as well as like a little bit of area control mm-hmm. the, very light yeah light area control but really it's like it's of the vein of that the designers are from this group of italian designers yes. that do a lot of uh games that really revolve around being able to like combo and it's like it's mm-hmm. such a it's such a game for that like this one i love this one also with robin this one is on the list of games that could make it for me it might need more plays you haven't tried it with the, like the fr- expansion no. one and that i think really is really cool like there is a bit of luck towards like uh what kind of adventures you could go on that mm-hmm. comes out of a card deck but you can probably prepare you go for on it. Re- adventures and you expansion? go on adventures in the expansion you've yeah. got research to do what are you doing going no, on adventures no you're just having some adventures mm-hmm. but every turn can like really explode in terms of like the amount of things you can do because of the potential for combos in this yeah it does have that potential for sure the map definitely leads to that as well mm-hmm. and it's just more built out map on the other side of the, right. or, sorry on the expansion board yeah Lots of variability with the like different scoring regions uh, on the bottom of the board that change out every game, as well as like where the animals or the specimens are located on the map. There's a couple things that I'm not like super fond of, which is there's some very powerful actions on the left hand side of the board which change out every game. And understanding how powerful those actions are is a really important part of the game because if mm-hmm. you misjudge and maybe don't, you allow someone to take those actions more times than they should. You can fall behind very quickly. Besides that, I think it's like a really well-built game and and yeah, just fun to play around in the system. Yeah, this is close to the Terraforming Mars experience for me. I think I had two really rough games of this that really put me off. I think the first one was on Tabletop Simulator while you were trying to decide whether or not to back it and Charles Darwin just... Oh yeah, Charles Darwin, don't <laughs> oh, play yeah, with that yeah, mini yeah. expansion. That is yeah, too I... powerful of a mini expansion. It was um, like Kickstarter promo don't play with it and then the second time i played it i felt that someone else at the table wanted to do the exact same thing as i was preparing was myself to do oh it was no it was sarah oh it was sarah. uh and she was ahead in turn order and just did everything i wanted to do in the first round before me and mm-hmm. set me back for the rest of the game like my second action once i realized what was happening was to take turn order but but then it was too late and I really struggled in the game. And I'm mm. pretty sure it was my fault, but yeah, just two really bad experiences with the game. I should give it another shot, I guess, because it looks great. The theme is fantastic. In theory, I should love worker placement in the style because I do love worker placements where your 
workers are unique mm-hmm. and this adds to that building up a player powers a la Hansa Teutonica in which I can really determine the the destiny of my workers or what they what knowledge they specialize in so mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that should click for me uh, I think just two rough experiences so I, I want to just right. forget about my players and come into it fresh once again I think it's good that you say that because this is the game that I feel like might fall the most on my list I've had like two good plays of it two mm-hmm. Three, three really good plays of it that I've really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Although the first play was not great because uh, of Charles Darwin. Because of Charles Darwin, but I enjoyed the game. <laughs> that overpowered <laughs> jerk in general. But anyway, yeah, this might this might fall. It's just the newest game on my list, and who knows where it will be next year. But at least for right. now, it's worth highlighting. When Charles Darwin appears in a game of his own name, <laughs> you know he's going to be overpowered. Yeah. So it was a. Uh, definitely an experience but yeah i think i've really enjoyed the expansion play so far i think it does it adds some randomness but it does like add more variability to the game i feel like and also when it does a thing with the special powers on the left side there's little sets there's little cards that give you like suggested Mm. uh layouts of Mm -hmm. them to like make a sort of like coherent um set of actions so i think that's interesting and and like such a great part of it is that like actions are unlocked throughout the game yes and so like everybody is doing like bigger and bigger turns and it's just like great to yeah i think everybody loves that sort of leveling up that you feel like throughout the game yeah i'm excited to play the expansion but for now that's my number 35 darwin's journey my number 35 is a game obviously that is getting another reprint or re-theme oh this is your theme of the the section the the section yeah. yeah just games that are getting reprinted or rethemed i don't own this one but because the retheme in my mind is so out of left field i don't plan to get the retheme and this game is a one of the purest negotiation games out there it is chinatown oh it's getting a retheme yeah it's like waterfalls or something you're negotiating waterfalls. I don't know. I just saw the box cover. It's waterfalls. Is it like TLC themed? I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so you end every negotiation with... <laughs> don't go Jason waterfalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So in this game, we are what, real estate moguls of some sort where we are trying to open businesses. The larger set of businesses you can open uh, rakes in more money each round so it's really important to try to open up your shops mm-hmm. earlier on the game to start generating that income but if you do so you really commit to that area of chinatown you're building in and what type of store you're um, committing to as well and that kind of lowers your leverage for all negotiations yeah. around that area and for those stores so it's a bit of risk and reward as far as trying to get your engine going uh, so there's a phase where you get dealt out because in real life, this is how property management happens. You get <laughs> yeah. dealt out cards of what areas or yeah, lots, lots that you own. Yeah, own in Chinatown. Uh, and you also randomly pull a bunch of stores from a bag of what you can possibly build in those spots. Also how in real life, how you decide what businesses you want to open. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the negotiation section phase happens and you can negotiate basically anything in the game from resources of like lots or your money or tiles that you can possibly build and 
that's it you can make like three-way four-way deals happen Mm -hmm. i think there's it's the best way to play this is just with like a pretty good you know conservative-ish timer like Mm -hmm. 10 minutes ish well maybe that's even too long like five minutes for each negotiation round and just like yeah i think that it the game incentivizes a lot of the um negotiation with like the randomly dealt lots and businesses so you want to trade and and sometimes it can get a little bogged down when you know exactly how much someone will get from something Mm -hmm. like when someone's one tile away from completing like a huge business yeah it gets a little bit a little bit slow but timer helps a lot yeah this almost made mine in my top 50 the retheme of this is called waterfall park mm-hmm. it's a amusement uh, park theme that is built in a mountain yeah so oh. uh, kind of weird i really like amusement park themes in general okay are there rides and stuff that you're there's you're like trying? yeah like bowling there's rides bowling's not a ride bowling on a mountain yeah i don't know it, there's just like parts of the park oh, okay okay like uh it it seems like a weird theme I don't know. To me, the theme was perfect because yeah. Chinatown elicits that kind of lot negotiation and everything, in my experience... Um, is negotiable. At, in a Chinatown, <laughs> in a yeah. Chinatown. So sad that it's getting a re-theme. Hopefully, I can pick up the original. But um, if you don't have access to it, pick up Waterfall Parks and hopefully it elicits the same emotions and moments and fun interaction. It is the most interactive game on my list, I think. Um, so Yeah. It's like... I really love this game. There's the dealing out of stuff sometimes ends up, and this is not a perennial problem with the game, but sometimes ends up that people are just happy with what they get. (laughs) And that's like, doesn't make for a very interesting round. So I think the Chinatown, for me, like I talked about this game before, but Traders of Genoa is also in the same vein. Mm -hmm. And that one I feel like is a little bit more. Because you can only end up with one thing. Yeah, exactly. So you're always, it forces you a bit more to, to, trade with chinatown's a bit more looser a bit more cutthroat yeah and that is my number 35 game chinatown my number 35 is likely higher on at least one of the lists uh but this is another reiner kinizia title it is quest for el dorado no it's on my light game oh my 34 game is (laughs) quest for el dorado what is it? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Oh, so back yeah, to back. back. You to guys could just duo this. It was higher, though, so I was right. That's why <laughs> I wanted to point <laughs> out. You were right. right. Yeah, Technically true. correct. For me, I love this because it's such a good manifestation of a theme. You're racing through El Dorado. You're gaining these cards that help you move along the jungle, uh, like machetes or money or other special power cards or paddles that help you move along this landscape. Every game is a different composition of the map, which then you have to kind of look ahead and plan what cards you want in your deck. It's a kind of classic deck builder with the caveat. This one is that you can choose to hold cards. Yeah. So I think that's that's a neat part of the game. And the market does play out a little bit differently each time because there are a base set of cards. But as soon as those are gone, the next player buying determines what is in the market. So a lot of cool things in this. And yeah, it just really fits the theme. I love the race aspect. Yeah. Yeah, I love themes that are like distilled, and this is deck building with a board distilled down to its like core components, and it works so well. Yeah, you have to both be tactical with the cards you're drawing every turn, but also you need to think ahead because you can see the route as it's laid out in front of you, and you know that you're going to have to go through a whole section that's all water. Mm -hmm. You might have to go through a whole section that's all like money as well. 
Um, and you need to be prepared for that and find ways to get around it. I got to play this just last weekend. There was a, an amazing moment where um, one of the players hadn't really prepared entirely for the section of water that we were about to hit, but they happened to have picked up a tile that could switch one type into another, and they perfectly like beelined across the water. Mm. Uh, and it was like, yeah, a great moment, and they ended up winning the game because of it, I think. Trying to find different ways to get through the obstacles that are in front of you. There's also like a bit of humor in the game, which is very fun. You know, you can have giant machetes, which <laughs> help you cut down the forest a little faster. <laughs> I don't really understand how that works, but... Yeah, just bigger. Just bigger machetes. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really good. So much variability and just so easy to teach. One of the players that we played with was a brand new player. Within a couple turns was just 100% understanding what was going on. Yeah. Uh, and having to make choices. Like she was, yeah, she was figuring it out and she's like, well, there's this line of play, but there's also this line of play. What is better for me? How do I know what's going to be good? Um, and yeah, fig- finding out that and, and like exploring the system is so fun. Yep. To be a negative Nancy again on this game, uh, the only thing I really don't like about this is the card size as much as... Like the mini Euro. But yeah. the new edition, they oh. are larger cards. Yeah. Shuffling mini Euro cards, uh, not comfortable for when me. When Vincent Detroit artwork. So mm. that is the newest edition. But I feel like that's the most nitpicky of nitpicky complaints about this game. Everything else of this is great. I just wish the cards were bigger. Yeah. If you don't own this game or you haven't played it yet, this is a great time to jump in because of the new edition. Mm-hmm. It is very beautiful, n- nicer than the first edition. But it is sad that like the new expansions that are coming out won't be compatible with right. the Right. I oh, believe I it's edition. only going to be this one. Is there another one that's... That they're going to... Yeah. Like a new expansion after that? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Maybe, but... Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's probably an upper limit of expansions That's to, true. to this game. Like, it really, it doesn't need more mechanics. No. It would be just great to have more cards or more. Yes. Like, variability is always nice. Like, that's the one drawback of the original, just a base game, is that while the market seeds differently, it's all the same cards each game. Yeah. So, I wonder if there's, like, maybe they'll add, like, more variability in the card system or anything like that. Yeah, I haven't played... Well, I've played with one of the expansions, which definitely adds variability in the cards, but... Uh, I haven't played the one... Does it give, like, player powers at the beginning? Asymmetric start? Mm, no, I'm not sure. Mm, okay. Yeah, I haven't I played the, all of them. Well, there you go. Who knows? And that's my number 35 game. And my number 34 game. Quest for El Dorado. My number 34 game is probably the newest game on my list and only really made it up here because of a recent play for it i think the first time i played this i was kind of yeah it's a good solid game but i don't it's fine but uh the second time we played with uh a uh a start where everyone got a different board and it significantly made this play a lot better for me and this game is planet unknown um it's so flexible this game it's so easily suited for any player count because it's simultaneous i love the polyomino polyomino design of this more than any uwe rosenberg game uh it's very satisfying to climb up those player tracks i can't wait actually to try the variable player tracks mm-hmm. that is a there's a one module i haven't really touched upon and that is the, the one you showed me where you can just like <laughs> jump your cubes to different tracks is, yeah 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 i can't wait for that and it's so fun to just spin the 
Lazy Susan and just, as I mentioned in the last podcast, watch my opponent's eyes either widen <laughs> or shut based on what they end up with. I also love that there's goals you're racing towards, but it's only between you and the person next to you. Mm-hmm. It means everyone is forced to aim for something different or not go for that goal at all. But it does so many things right and it is enjoyable. It's definitely not a game that's going to headline anything, but like mm-hmm. it's so... Like the playtime is so reasonable yeah. for like up to six players. In the technology world, we have this concept of plug and play where you can just take something off the shelf and use it in whatever solution you need. This is the most plug and play game on my list. It's good with hardcore gamers. It's easy enough to teach with the baseboards to new gamers. It's really good. Yeah, this was on my list, but again, it it's on like recency bias protection list right now because I'm not sure where it will end up. It is, you know, lighter end of stuff, but it could fit into this just because it's so easy to to teach and get into. Yeah, it's a really good game. I, I think it doesn't have enough of a twist to make it on my list, mm-hmm. but everything you said is true. I think barring the price, if someone was like, what game should I pick up for my family that they're all going to enjoy and I can play at any player count mm-hmm. and I can play with anyone that has or has not played board games, it's a great choice. If it's all the boxes, if you're opening like a board game cafe, this should be on your shelf 100% of the time. So many groups will just enjoy their time playing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this fills a niche. If this list of games was like the best games in certain categories, this would make my list, but it just didn't have the spark for me. Right. Um, uh, yeah, it didn't have the spark for me, but like... There's just so many things. Mm-hmm. It ticks so many of the boxes. I respect this game a lot. Yes. It's probably a game I'll never be like, we have to get this to the table again. Yeah. But it's so versatile that mm-hmm. it has to make my list. But if we were at a convention... And we had like an hour before lunch yeah. or something. It was a no-brainer. I, I think it even <laughs> gets better at more players as well, which yeah. is crazy to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The main mechanism is like somebody is the active player that round and they choose one of the tiles around in this little Lazy Susan thing. And then um, the other players just have to live with whatever's in front of them. Yeah. So yeah, really, really great. And that is my number 34 game, Planet Unknown. My number 34 game is a game by a designer who I've owned a lot of his games. And usually there's a couple of rough edges. I've kept only a few of them. And this is one of them. And it's not very widely known by the designer. If you mentioned this, the designer, they would name probably six or seven other games before this. But this one is called Inhabit the Earth <laughs> by Richard Brees. Mm. And so he's most famous for Keyflower, Keyflow, uh, or sorry, not Keyflow, but like the key series of, of his games. Cathedral? Cathedral, yeah, Keydom, Keeper, etc. So this one is called Inhabit the Earth. It is in such a unique game in my collection. It's like an engine building game uh, where you're, you have a tableau of cards, the animals that you're trying to adapt to different environments. And the whole game is trying to look ahead on the tracks your animals are on and trying to adapt your animals to move as much as you can on, on the movement turns. So you're spending turns adapting the animals, like evolving them, and then... So they can get through the terrain that they're about to face. Exactly, the like the terrain and weather environmental yeah. um, things that they're... It's weirdly a race game where you want to evolve and adapt fastest. Yes. So including migration, you could just choose not to race on this map and migrate to a different continent, yeah. you know? So it's about building all these animals. Um, 
Yeah, it has very creepy animal artwork, which <laughs> they have it. human eyes. It's they fine. have human I eyes. I love it. Yeah, I, I love great. it. I love that this game is such a different take on engine building. Yeah, it is like it. There's a interesting card play. There's goals that you're trying to get uh, or achieve. Like you can draft higher level cards that are like end game scoring goals. But really, it's like the bulk of your points are moving up these tracks and and getting these uh, tiles off the track. Yeah, I think this is the opposite for me for Planet Unknown. This does have a spark. You know, it's very unique. It feels very different. My first couple plays of it, I just like didn't know what was happening. And I still don't. I haven't played it enough. Mm -hmm. But like it's the kind of game that I would say every time we have a game night, we should play it just like once real quick at the beginning. And I feel like we would start to learn. I would start to learn more how the game progresses because the plays I've had have just been stumbling through the system just because it's so different than. Right. Yeah. It's very unique. Yeah, this is a game that's on the top of my list of what games does AB own that looks like a print and play but is not a print and play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, There's a bunch of those. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, please remake this game with less creepy art and I will buy it. It is so fun. I can't even fathom if this is a good design game or not. It's just filled with moments and silliness when I play it. And I know it's not supposed to be a silly game, but um, it's just really fun to adapt my emu into (laughs) a little kiwi bird and then migrate to New Zealand and start my own race over there. (laughs) It's bizarre and kind of biological maybe, but... um, Yeah, it's very loose with the scientific rigor of this the evolving and adaptation but you know the basic idea is like yeah, adapt to the adapt. environment and you you perform better yeah but that was my number 34 <laughs> inhabit the earth my number 33 is probably too light actually for your list now that i'm looking at it but it is my favorite deduction game of all time and so we have just talked about deduction games so we should all know this is cryptid i expect it not to be on this list for you guys but i think it's just so pure, so clean, and has so many great moments, and is so easy to teach. Like, yeah, all these things are, are such large boxes that need to be ticked for me to get games on this list, and it does all of them. It's a no-brainer for me. This is a great game and deserves to be on this list. Agreed. Played well in so many player counts as well. Like, yeah. shout out to the designers for making sure that there's only one solution for various player counts for all the different iterations of that. To me, that's just... Uh, they probably got a computer to design this out. I don't know how they would write it, but great. Um, so well designed, so fun, uh, yet AB ruined it for me. <laughs> yeah. I will never be able to beat his score. So if that's Yeah, if there's stuff. a score, because it was my first turn and the first fourth turn of the game that I figured out where that cryptid was. We have recently talked about this game, but yeah. in general, it's a game where everyone's given a clue, like the cryptid is not near forests or the cryptid is beside a lake. And there's a map, and then you slowly try to deduce and corner where the cryptid could be, and then you guess, and yeah. uh, using all the information you've gathered, and hopefully you find the right spot. Well, and the the one spot is actually something that follows all four rules. So yeah. the whole game, you're trying to deduce what the other people's rules are. And that's such a pure implementation of of deduction. Like, the, this is a just a yeah great game. It, it, you're right, it was on the edge of like light or too light just because the playtime is like so fast it's, it's very fast it's really like you could with experienced players it's like 15 to 20 minutes yeah if that but yeah amazing game yeah very good 
That's my 33rd game, Cryptid. Uh, we don't have to talk about my 35th game because it is also Broom Service. Wow. <laughs> wow. All three Triple of us. Triple crossover. Triple crossover. Jim likes it the most, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, I do. This is a game I'll never say no to. Straight up. I will never say no to playing this game. I'll, no. I can't think of any situation. It is so fun. So well designed. Um, yeah. Doesn't outstay its welcome. What more can we say about this that we haven't already said this episode? It is Alexander Fister's uh, top free designed game for me. Easily. <laughs> for sure. do, you, how, do you like the event system in this game? I will play it when I need a just something, something spicy. You know, it's like we played this for a while. I think there was a period where we were playing it pretty much nearly every other week and because it's such an easy game to break out at like a cafe that we were i think we've only played it with the event system like two or three times oh i've i've played it every time with the events oh okay. like the every turn you flip over yeah. a card and it does a thing yeah, yeah. I, i've mm-hmm. always played with that uh okay there's a, a second mini expansion you can play with that has even more mm. that if yeah. you are cowardly you can take this action instead right which helps at a higher player count but the event system is cool because you never have to actually do what the event says. It's always an option. Yeah. And and it helps like give people direction yes. and give a clue of what people might be trying to do. Yeah, it's kind of silly, but there's crazy cards in there. Like you can play with just one card <laughs> for a round or you can play with like basically all your cards, but you lose a bunch of points. Mm-hmm. And those are interesting and yeah, part of the game that I really like. And who doesn't like being witches delivering potions? No, no one, one at this table. No one. <laughs> yeah. uh, here's a fourth rule to that game, or a fourth type of witch. It's the one with the magic wand. The weather fairy. The weather fairy, mm-hmm. yeah. So you can uh, blast out storm clouds for points. Mm-hmm. There are clouds preceded on the map, and it clears them away. Yeah, like set collection yeah. for points. Yeah. So this is like one of the elements that you race for, right? Like you, if you're want to play a weather fairy you want to be have your have your uh which is pre-positioned to to take best effect of that and that was my number 33 game the third mentioning of that game in this podcast broom service currently the discord pile's favorite game currently yes <laughs> yeah broom service uh number 33 is a game by matthias kramer and this is called Rococo. And this is a game at, about making dresses. They're all t- um, expert tailors uh, trying to dress people for the king's ball uh, in France. And so this is, or like Renaissance France? Yeah. And this is a deck building and area control game. It's it's quite unique. Like now that I'm saying it, like yeah. it's very different than hand management, other. resource management, hand management, resource management, uh, just yeah. Really unique theme. Like people, uh, generally are interested when I, when I bring this out, I was like, Oh, dressmaking as a, as a game. But really there is a sort of like cutthroat area control element. It is therefore best at three or five. I usually prefer mm-hmm. it at probably five. Um, at four, it's, pretty loose on the five player map but yeah if you don't manage to get the guests 
your dresses, especially the ones who watch the fire work show. That's a, that's a lot of points you're giving out. So, yeah. So the, there's a lot of moving parts to this game. It is fairly heavy. The thing that, you know, is, is something that I've started to teach is like the composition of the potential deck of cards that you hire apprentices, master, or mm-hmm. journeymen and masters into your, your staff to like help you. Um, and there's a few like end game scoring ones that I'll, I'll teach now so that people kind of know what to aim for, but really anything that you can do in the game, there's probably a way to score it. It's just not going to be automatic. It's not going to be like something that will just score you points in the end game. You have to really kind of focus in on, on it. But yeah, that's Rococo. I haven't played this very much, but I love the theme. Yeah, I played this once, and the one playthrough was very satisfying. I wanted to play the remaster, we call yeah, it. Yeah, deluxe version, yeah. Yeah, I uh, would like to give that a shot, AB. Yep, still still own it. <laughs> and yeah, it's fairly high just because it's it's different and it's, it's very satisfying. Like, it's a thing where you, you're building up during your turn, and... Uh, at the end of the game, you're like have this whole ballrooms full of full of dresses that you've you've created. Yeah, it is very satisfying, and it's the kind of game you finish, and you just want to take a picture because mm-hmm. everyone did something cool, and and it shows on the board. And that's my number thirty three game, Rococo. Probably the second best. No, it's the better dressmaking game. Yeah, it's the better dressmaking game. My number thirty two game is a game that I think is definitely all mechanics, no theme for me. And that's Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Lorenzo Il Magnifico is a worker placement game, but the strength of your worker is depending dependent on a dice that's rolled at the beginning of the round, and everyone has to deal with that same strength worker for that round. Uh, you're taking cards into kind of four different tableaus on your personal player area, um, collecting things that are going to build your resources or going to let you gain points and exchange resources as well as some player powers and some in-game scoring. And it's just a really tight worker placement game that allows you to go in lots of different directions when you're playing it. Mm-hmm. This was my number 47. So I'm actually pretty surprised it's higher on your list. Yeah, I've been recently playing this quite a bit at two players with my wife mm-hmm. um, and really enjoying it at that it player It scales count. really well. It does. Yeah, yeah I, I don't actually remember how much I liked it at three and four, so I can't really speak to that. But at two, there's only like one place to run both of your engines Mm -hmm. so being first in turn order or trying to like understand how much your opponent wants to run each of their engines is so important Mm -hmm. um yeah and i just really love kind of blocking games where it's just two players i'm not usually a big two-player game but for some reason this one really hit the spot should be noted same designers as grand austria hotel which also made your list and i think they feel very similar despite being totally different mechanics well, I guess they both involve taking dice in different <laughs> ways. But the bread and butter seems to be like a really tight Euro game that can be punishing and uses dice. I elicit the same kind of mental feelings or mm-hmm. mental experience when I play both. I think both will feature in my list in the future, spoilers alert, but I think I actually have them flip. I think it's very possible with more plays, they will flip. Right. I've played this one a lot more, and Mm -hmm. and more recently. I've only played Garen Austria Hotel a couple times, right? um, and don't own it, so I don't have the ability to play it a whole bunch. But yeah, I think theme-wise, for sure, Grand Austria is way better than Lorenzo. 
and mechanic wise they're very close to me mm-hmm. yeah uh, so I, I could see them flipping i just feel like there's one thing that really annoys me about the game which feels like it's punishing for the sake of punishing and that if someone has already drafted a card from that card column then it costs you extra money to actually draft a card right. from the same which column. is why i do like the fifth tower yeah. edition is that like at least yeah in the fourth player you're not like oh i have to either go here or start paying money yeah uh, you can go to the f- fifth tower. Yeah, the expansion. Yeah. The expansion adds a whole bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. which is which worth is, mentioning as well. Which is really cool. Like I, I think uh, one of the things is is really variable start, and I like that the actual bidding is on the player powers. Yeah, and so you both you you bid for player powers, and the actual resources that you start with will basically get lower the hi- higher you bid. And so I think that's really cool. I think. I don't love additions to games where it's like, oh, you bid for player powers with victory points. Yeah. Like that kind of thing with like Terra Mystica, for example. Yeah, because how much is it worth? Because how much is it worth? And here it's just like reduced start resources, which Mm -hmm. is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. We haven't dived into the... I have the expansion, but Mm -hmm. I haven't dived into it at all because with two players, I haven't found we needed the the fifth tower or more variety, but eventually definitely want to go into that as well. Yeah, really great expansion. Also, my copy is all in Italian, so it's... Uh, so thematic. So thematic. <laughs> the most <Yeah>. thematic. <laughs> yeah. That's my number 32 game, Lorenzo Il Magnifico. My number 32 game is the first of this designers. Uh, it is very heavy, and that is a classic Lacerda game. Number 32 for me is on Mars. Uh, it's kind of weird because I don't think this will ever hit the table again because it is broaching like the too heavy and not enough fun aspect of a Lacerda game. Uh, and it's also the Lacerda game I find to be not the smoothest. I think the pinnacle of a Lacerda game is rules light, generally meaning action light but the repercussions of those actions flow onto almost every facet of what you're trying to do. Which is true for On Mars. It is true on, on Mars, but it's if you think of, and we're just going to get into a Lacerda chat now, if you think of like Ven- How- Venos yeah. and Kanban and the Galaris, those actions are in a nice little spot on the board of the board right, game. Right. And you can just like go, if you really want to, you can go through one by one and understand what happens with each action based on your the state of the board game for you. With On Mars, you're, you could be on one section of the board, the space station, or on the other half of the board, On Mars, uh, and which opens up totally different actions to you. So even though you know you should take something, it might be on the other side of the uh, space for you. Yeah, so, that's probably my favorite part of the game is yeah. the like, decision of when to go to different sides of the board. It is like to, to what you were saying, I think the disconnect on, on this one is usually because I think this is his title where it takes many more steps to set up. Yes. A, a turn and yep. so there's more sometimes in the, in his games there's reliant turns are reliant on you know things they've done previously but this one it can be like two or three steps that i also just think in order i also just think there's a lot of fluff in this game compared to the a classic lacerda there's you know scientists you can go for there's different tiles you can take to boost actions there's spaceships you need to build um there's just a lot going on that making the wrong move hurts you more so than in any other Lacerda game. So I know I'm talking pretty 
down about this game, <laughs> but that goes to show how much respect I have for Lacerda and his designs. That I think not his worst game by any means, but his heaviest game is number thirty-two on my list. Yeah, it's one that I gen- like. I enjoy every play I have of this. It's just like onboarding a new player. Is, oh, I is, never want to onboard yeah. this game again. <laughs> yeah, just is uh, very tough on this, and so even with experienced um, Lacerda players it was very difficult for some people to understand the steps that it takes to do certain certain actions in this. Yeah, we were recently talking about games that we want to play again, or I was talking about games that I really want to revisit, and the two that were on the top of the list were all the Lacertas and Brass. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the lowest on the list for me. I think there's just so many other Lacertas I want to play more. That's, the only way this gets to the table, again, for me, is if everyone at least a night before, agrees to play this game and reads up the rules beforehand because it is not something I want to break open and start yeah. teaching even experienced board game tables because the teach is just exhausting. It's definitely the longest teach of, of his. Mm-hmm. I think my longest teach of this game was 45 minutes before we did something. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but again, so enjoyable when I play it. So if you are an experienced on Mars player and want to play a game with me, reach out on Discord and I will definitely be down but not willing to share my address. And that's my number 32 game on Mars. My number 32 is definitely one of the hottest games of like probably the last decade, I would say. Um, And it actually surprised me how much I've enjoyed every play of this game and that is root this one is a game that is very i don't know at at first blush it's not something that i would love which is ace uh, a lot of asymmetric games i'm i don't like very asymmetric games i don't love having to like police other players and often i'm the rules teacher so therefore having to police every other player's actions is just very mentally taxing this one at least is very player board dependent. Everybody's actions are fairly clearly outlined on the player boards and people understand the relationships of the characters a little bit easier. I do have, as part of the teach, denote which factions have to watch other factions a little bit more. But this is kind of based on the coin system where everybody is like massively asymmetric and really trying to do different things. But this one is um, a more clear kind of point system in terms of how it's resolved. Hey, AB, for our listeners who don't know, what what is the coin system? What does that stand for? It stands for a genre game called counterinsurgency games. And they are usually... Like for example, with Cuba Libre, one of the one of the titles in the series are are representing four, usually four factions in a conflict, and so uh, you generally need the four players. If you don't have the four players, a lot of the actions of the fourth faction are run by a bot. But if, like those games, in Root, you have a faction like uh, the cats who kind of own Marquis de Cat, the Marquis de Cat that owns the kingdom, and all the cats are you start off owning like most of the territory in the kingdom. The birds are another faction that is trying to swoop in and swoop in, oh, swoop in and take control of more territory. Uh, you have the Woodland Alliance who's staging an insurgency against the Marquis de Cat. And you have the Vagabond who is uh, the little raccoon that's running around and helping and maybe benefiting off of other people. And yeah, I think there's really 
great expansions for this. The, I haven't played with this group, like the newest set of expansions, the Undermountain stuff, but really great, cool factions that it has been added to the Have game. Have you played more Lizards? No. They're I think hardest. that's Yeah, that's why I, I hit, think, right? I think that's the weakest expansion. Okay. Yeah, they've got an update. They're a little stronger if okay. you play with the updated boards. But I would love actually just like a big box edition with the actual reprinted boards and everything at some point. I'm guessing they're probably going to do that because it's such a massively successful game. I just don't want to lug around the like two or three boxes <laughs> in most cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this game is insanely good. I shouldn't like it as much as I do, but I, I just love it so much. Because it's just conflict upon conflict yeah but it's so asymmetric and like just trying to figure out what's happening on the board is so interesting and it's just so fun to play a different faction every time also i think largely it's because the conflict cannot be avoided like you cannot escape it in this game so you can't feel bad when you're being attacked because that's i'm being forced into it the game says this is how the game progresses so i must do this the only thing i don't like about this game is a couple of times at five players i know i'm being the once again negative but at five players, there is a large element of just hit down the leader and then second place can win. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, you don't want to stick out too much in this. Just like I think most area mm-hmm. control games have, have this element. And it's most of the time generally the wrong decision because yeah. the board state and the points generally don't align with one another. Airy could be leading but could probably like fall into disarray the next turn if they're not careful so yeah so you have to kind of watch who's going to come back up out of that mess like sometimes after a big scoring you'll you will be beat down so i think it's timing when to when to score and paint a target on your back yeah i have the same problem i won't play with the vagabond for the first couple plays because i think it's the the faction that you have to be the most careful of it's the most anticlimactic when the vagabond wins just like mm-hmm. kind yeah. of out of nowhere or like no one can stop the vagabond mm-hmm. and you're like oh yeah but four turns ago we should have all been stopping the vagabond but yeah. we're all you know everyone's a new player or like i just don't want to start the game and say you need to attack this player like that mm-hmm. shouldn't be part of the game if all three players are trading with the vagabond something's gone wrong yes exactly yeah. so i just will not play with the vagabond i'll, I'll play with an expansion if we have a fourth player mm-hmm. but yeah not the vagabond. but it's so good it's a great game yeah and that was my number 32 game root I actually played That's So Clever with Cole Worley at a PAX without knowing who he was. Oh, That's nice. my fun fact. Wow. I'm so sad that we didn't like Ahoy as much as we could have, as much as Root. I don't think we were meant to like Ahoy that much, though. I don't think... <laughs> as weird as it is, it's small box, it's... It's in the fine print at play. the end of the room. Yeah. That, that you we will don't not have. enjoy yeah. this yeah. game as much as Root, I think, is the last line of that rule book. I mean, there's something about having two factions that are just the same faction mm-hmm. fighting against each other felt so weird. Mm. I know there's an expansion coming. Yeah. And I don't know if that will create more factions and fix it, but I hope it does lean towards Root with pirates. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Root's amazing. My last game is... One that I really, really, I mean, I really love all these games. So my 31st game is a really great game by a great designer, and that is Notre Dame. Notre Dame is an action drafting game where you pass and draft three cards, and then you take those actions. Every time you take an action in Notre Dame, you leave a cube behind, and that action gets stronger the second time you take it. And you build your strategy through trying to make actions stronger and stronger and eventually scoring you points in various ways. The best part about this game is that there's constant pressure from the game itself to force you to fight back. 
and that's done in the form of a rat track. Every turn, the rats increase. Get, yeah, they yeah. increase. You're trying to avoid the plague from hitting <laughs> your section of Paris. Exactly. And so you have to like invest in medical, like the, in the hospital yep. and like other ways to manage your rat population or like pay, pay off certain characters to like help you. The drafting in this is amazing. Like you start with a little deck of your nine cards for that like portion of the game. Yep. And you know that you'll be able to at least see every um, action once, every action sure. once. Yeah. And then you pass those two to the next person. It's such a simple draft. Um, but it's really interesting because sometimes you're like, Jim better pass me the card I need. Nope. And he passes me two money cards or something yeah. that I do not need. Yes. Yeah. A lot of modern games, you can kind of choose a lane and stick to it. And you feel like in this game, you could do that because your actions keep getting stronger the more you take them. But in reality, you need every resource. You need money. You need to stop the rats. You need more population. You can't fall behind in any one spot or else mm -hmm. your whole game is going to be ruined. And I feel like new players maybe don't appreciate that as much. Uh, and you say, please hold money because at the end of the round, you need to buy one of these characters because they're, they're all very so powerful. good. They're extremely powerful. Yes. So don't run out of money. This but, is the Grand Austria Hotel all over again. But also don't run out of player pieces because you literally just cannot improve your uh, your actions. If well, you, you need <laughs> to start pulling from other sections. Yeah, which is devastating. Yeah. yeah. Um, so keeping everything in balance is another part of the game that I really love. And yeah, it's just lots of tension from all different sorts of places, but there's no direct player interaction, but you always feel like something's gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Planet Unknown has kind of replaced this for me for a game. I feel like I can get to a table with any kind of group just because it's, you know, a dry Euro game. Notre Dame is a dry Euro yeah. game. It's like, hey, do you want to play this game? It's about Notre Dame. <laughs> and that does not feature Quasimodo. Okay, but this game has one of the best <laughs> first player markers. <laughs> Wait, what's the first player? Oh, it's oh Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it no, does have Hunchback. The way the player boards come together. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Per player yeah. count, the map looks different. Mm -hmm. Such a fun little part of the the game. Could be the pinnacle of modular boards for me. Mm -hmm. And it has no no real gameplay implication other than like the amount of sides are touching. I mm -hmm. guess it does with like the mm -hmm. the a very small the gathering amount. messages. But you really undervalue the mailman. Robin. I never go mailman. <laughs> I will never do it. Um and that's Robin's Amy's <laughs> <laughs> time talking about this game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh that's my 31 Notre Dame. 31 is I think my highest and only Velada game. Which everyone now knows which it is. It is Through the Ages, second right. edition. Uh, Through the Ages is my pick for a heavy Civilization-esque game uh, in which there's a card row and you're using action points for white cubes to draft cards into your hand and to play them out into your tableau. Um, and then there's a military aspect I largely ignore. <laughs> unless, well, unless, you Sean, you unless Sean's going super military and then I must go military. But yeah, if no one's you going can't. military, no. then you're... Then mm, someone always no. goes. You have to prepare. Someone always goes. Just build a barracks just in case. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. I think the best thing about this game for me is the ramp. Like it has very specific ages to the game. And it's very clear when someone triggers the start of the next age. It's like, okay, everything is ramping. You still only have those level one minds. You're going to suffer. And I love games that introduce that level of stress of you need to keep up in certain elements. You can try to choose not to have a happy society, but 
we're coming to the next stage. So a couple of people are probably just going to leave or science, technology, everything. It is stressful management, but kind of in a good way. Yeah. And you're pushed to like balance all these things. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's like, I oh, forgot to score, yeah. you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm forgetting to score. Like I got great military. I got this points. <laughs> How yeah. points? It's so good. Yeah. It's a great game. Everything you said is correct. I agree. Uh, and then on top of that, there's the leaders every round, mm-hmm. every age, you can have a different leader and they're all insanely powerful. They all do really different things, which can lead you in different directions. And not every leader is in every game of uh, through the ages. So you never have the chance to be like, I'm waiting for Genghis Khan or, you know, I'm waiting for, you know, Newton to come out. You need to roll with the punches and figure out what your strategy is throughout the game instead of beforehand. It's just really great. Yeah. What game did you say you played on your phone a lot? Well, I played oh, Suburbia, Suburbia yeah, but I played this a huge amount. Yeah, on my phone I was about too. to say, yeah. this is a game I played most solo on my phone. Yeah, yeah it's very good on the phone. It would be on my list if the app weren't so good, <laughs> like the, or like the BGA. Again, it should be on my list. Probably because I do enjoy it. I do really enjoy it. But again, the app is just my preferred way of playing it. My worst plays have been in person. For sure. Oh, 100%. Learning this game in person and like not understanding that military is so key. Compared to what the... The upkeep is crazy. Although the system is genius in how they do it. It's it's a great resource system. But yeah, BGA and the app have been... Mm -hmm amazingly fun yeah and similar to like what SimCity is for you uh i think we talked about this in previous podcasts uh i think all of us or both of us at least robin have been looking for that civilization-esque game yeah and so far this has not been beat for me but i desperately want it to be beaten because you know nine times out of ten i'd rather just play on my phone or i'd rather if i were to play this game i'm like committing to a three to four hour game so yeah i quite liked mosaic because it adds the like you got rid of it. map element, <laughs> but I did not love the look of the game. Yeah, so hopefully I, I really like Mosaic. they do a better version at some point because that that would stick around my collection if it was like a nice looking game. Yeah, it's good to know this game doesn't have a board. You know, mm-hmm. can you be yeah. a Civ game without having a board? Yes, because this is the best one. <laughs> yeah, this is the best Civ <laughs> game. But I wish it had a sort of like board mm-hmm. element, but it would just add. It'd be too so much. much. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And that was my number 31 game, Through the Ages. Okay, my number 31 is, again, I think it's like so high because it feels so unique. It is a game by Matt Gertz. It is a game called Imperial. And this is in his series of games that were like Rondell games. So in this game, you're moving around Rondell, which means you can move one to three actions and you have to pay to go further. But the key part of this game that is so unique is that no player owns any of the pieces on the board. This one is about war profiteers during the First World War. And so you are all uh, war profiteers that are buying bonds into these different countries. If you have majority control of a country, you can actually dictate what the country will do on their turn, which is like building up their armies, like taking over regions. And the value of the company is based on, sorry, not the company, the value of the country, (laughs) which is kind of a company. Yeah is based on, yeah, like it's map holdings. So you're actually all playing investors in these countries and you don't necessarily score for yourself. You're trying to boost the scoring of the countries you're invested in. I always feel guilty playing this game. It's like, are we the bad guys? Most certainly, <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's like emergent theme. This game looks so drab, but as soon as you start like, 
hey, you want to fight over here so we both don't have to pay our army so we just kill them <laughs> off? That's emergent theme. Like, you're you're terrible people. Yeah. Yeah, the yes. people that treat the countries as Pawns. commodities. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very dark, shadowy cabinet. It's yeah. the Illuminati controlling these countries. As soon as you care vibe. about your troops or you care about a country doing well, you've lost the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know? It's like, it's not yours. It's, no, you it's dispensable. It. You, yeah. you want to you wanna use it and get rid of it and some other player will take control of it and try to salvage it but it's gone you know you've already taken everything worth of value yeah like it's it's very similar to like some uh 18 access games where players investments go into the country's bank and that's what they spend to like improve their armies but that's gonna dry up very quickly and so you have to figure out how much money you want to put into these countries and like which ones have the most growth potential for late game yeah it's very 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 good It, it it does look a little drab but um, besides that, it's a it's a great game. Yeah, my negative point to this game is I think it's the worst implementation of a rondelle in a rondelle game. Just for wheel of actions, and if you want more, you just pay money. I think that the least interesting rondelle, but I think it was the original rondelle. There were there were a lot of rondelle games before in terms of like action selection, but I think Mackerts has done so many variations of it. Each game is implemented differently. It didn't make my top 50, but this is the Rondell game I like the most because of theme and not Rondell, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because uh, the same system is used in Navigador, and I really don't like Navigador compared to Imperial because, as you mentioned, the emergent theme of this is so in-your-face. And, yeah war i'd be down to try like antique at some point because that was my number 40 and this is my number 31 but i think like they both have feature a different use of the rondell yeah yeah this game is not a rondell game it's just there to take <laughs> actions and yeah. that's fine yeah. uh the the gold in this game is is on the board great choice and that was my number 31 the last of this this segment of our podcast imperial or imperial 2030 or Imperial 2030. There's literally no difference, right? It's just maybe you can be a bit uh, disconnected. The like, map is uh, different. The map is different. Yeah. So in Imperial, there are certain countries that are kind of disadvantaged for being in, stuck in the corners. Oh. Um, Imperial 2030 has like a wraparound. But I kind of, I, I like the World War One oh, yeah, yeah. theme because mm-hmm. it's like so thematic with that war, which is basically a stalemate. I have so. the first one. I, I would always play the first yeah. one. So that was 40 down to 31 on your favorite podcast's uh, top 50 games list. I think we learned a lot for this podcast, more than just for games on it, but what really drives us to selecting those games and specifically what top games we have left off this list. In particular, I would love to hear your thoughts on maybe a popular game, a top-ranked BGG game that just didn't work out for you because you had one really bad experience with that because I think those are really interesting stories about you know my darwin's journey and terraforming mars experiences versus other people's it's your board game origin story yeah your (laughs) board game villain origin story yeah thanks for joining us obviously next week we'll have 30 down to 21 in the meantime i've been jim ab and robin and we'll see you next week on the The discard pile My number 30 is Imperial. Oh, it's just going to keep going? Oh, okay. (laughs) No. Wait, is it actually? It is actually, though. Is Imperial? Yeah. (laughs) 
pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, yeah, that's my number 32. Wait, I guess it's important to say then that like it's fairly language independent. All language independent. No, like the cards. The ca- cards? Well, language no. independent. The, the language cards independent. you draft, pass and draft. Language independent. Oh. I know it's just symbols, but... No, you can get a player aid. Yeah, yeah. I, all, I the names, all the names that in the English player edition. player aid is going to be in Italian for Robin <laughs> AB. No, it does not include in the game. I had to print oh, one in BGG. English. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is included in the game, but... Well, then cut this section out. The names are all Italian. So one thing that should be noted is, excitingly, this game is language independent. Yeah, not the expansion, though. Actually, I don't know if the expansion is or not, but mine's in English, which is very funny. So... Who knows? Uh, that's my 33. That's my 33 game cryptid. 33rd? 33rd? Yeah. Or 33? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's my 3 3 game. <laughs> With On Mars, you're on, you could be on one section of the board, Earth, or the other section of. Wait, Earth or the space station? The space station. The space station. Or on the other half of the board, on which Mars. Is, on Mars uh, and, and we'll see you next week on the discard pile add some reverb to that the discard pile no no in post oh, in post. oh okay <laughs> <laughs> just lie. I thought that was uh, direction <laughs> yeah, I thought you were yeah, directing yeah, me yeah. <laughs>